Hey there and welcome to a special episode of The Walk and today I'm going to take you for a walk on a boat because that's where I am. I'm actually currently in my cabin in my hut and it's a nice one. It even has a window which is kind of rare because I didn't pay for one but I certainly got one. And if I look outside this window I can see the sea uh, passing by and it's almost entirely dark outside. The sun is setting quite quickly now at the end of, uh, of the year, well, almost the end of the year, it's fall. And uh, I'm gonna go outside, take you a few decks up and then outside and I will tell you all about this amazing week that I've experienced in England and Scotland. So I'm opening the door here and I am in room 572. This is a massive ship and uh, I'm now walking through this corridor on my right are actually big doors that lead to the 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 car area where the cars and the trucks are uh, are uh, carried over and these are the passenger quarters and there are several decks uh, from very low cost uh, I think those are actually one lever level uh, below um, and those are low budget ones you have no windows and it's uh, kind of metal walls and then you have these nicer ones with a window hey and there is Hugo Hi. who has been accompanying me throughout this week uh, filming and uh, we had well, um, now that we're talking about it I uh, bought a present for you what what is it oh my goodness <laughs> that Highland Park spirit of the beer. Yeah, it's not exactly the one that we had at uh, Danny Wilson's place. I'll talk. Uh, I'll tell you all I, about it later. <laughs> but I but I tried it uh, at the sh at the shop and it it tastes lovely. So and, oh my uh, goodness! Because I want to thank you for this lovely week. Uh, I bought this present for oh, you. Thank you so much! Oh my gosh! And this is oh, wow. I'll probably have to take it it's home. A, it's a dark green box, yeah, because I'm continuing to roam, of course. But it's a beautiful dark green box, and it has a silver bear on it, uh, almost entangled in a tree. And it says "Spirit of the Bear," single malt, single malt Scotch whiskey. Mm -hmm. So no blend, smoky and bold, intense aromatic smokiness from our unique treeless peat. And I like it when it's peaty. It's got a lot of character. I think you'll like this one. And and you actually, you, you are the cause that that we're doing this week <laughs> because you started talking about Scotland about these ancient monks years, years and ago. years ago, <laughs> maybe years ten ago. years ago when we Probably, first started to work uh, together. At least five six years ago, uh, we've we've been talking to about this for years. Yeah, we are doing this, and we thought we would it would be stay a dream, and we would never actually do it, but. Uh, all of a sudden, the occasion appeared, and we jumped on it, and we didn't regret it. No, <laughs> not at all. Not a, not a, not for a bit. Let me take this to my cabin, and maybe if you if you feel like it, we can. I think we need to we need to share a glass, and, and, I'll, and then I'll take it home and bring it to you later. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that that sounds like a perfect plan. Okay. Well, you thank you so much. I will. Yeah, I'm going to take them for a walk outside. Okay. Extra Bye -bye. drama. <laughs> oh, wow, that is so kind. Yeah. it's. I mean, that's part of when you visit Scotland, you need to have a wee little dram, as they say. <laughs> and uh, he was referring to... Uh, 
um, an encounter uh, that was unplanned uh, earlier this week, which was quite amazing. And I'll, I'll just tell you about it later. First of all, I want to kind of tell you what the ship looks like. So I'm here on deck seven, and this is the first deck where you have actually uh, the guest service center. The first thing that Hugo told me was, we need to go up to the counter and ask for this anti-seasick seasickness pill. It's a small pill. I didn't know they had them. I've been on a ferry once before, and I got a severe case of seasickness. I remember this was 15 years ago, one of our first vacations with the three other priests, and uh, we had eaten, and I was just sick the entire night. But apparently they have these small pills that they administer you before the ship leaves the harbor it's very important to to get it before you you leave and uh, you swallow it with a little bit of water and i have to say both on the way to scotland as well as on the way back right now even though the boat is rocking back and forth no sign of sea of seasickness at all there's some models here of the ship itself uh, this is one of two ships that they uh, use on this particular route um it's dfds seaways and uh this is uh, king olav <laughs> they all have these nordic names and here is another model actually quite big i, I guess it's about almost two meters long it's made out of wood and it's a beautiful rendition of the old ships that they used from 1930 to 1953 so it was a freight passenger ship um so they've been in this business for uh, for a century. Going up the stairs to the next level, and uh, this is all kind of fancy with the black and golden accents and some black and white photos, beautiful photos of sailing ships. And then here on this floor, eight, is uh, some nice music, of course, and it's also the entrance to the restaurant over there. And... Uh, that's where we've... Uh, there's some, I think that's some live music, actually. That's where we had dinner. We didn't get dinner on the way to England because we tried to save costs as much, much as possible. This is a very low-budget production that we we're on. Uh, but on the way back, we were so happy with the results that we decided to get what they call the Explorer's Meal, or the Explorer's Kitchen. It's basically a sampling of all sorts of different cuisines, little... Uh, you know, finger food, uh, but all sorts of good food. And I have to say, the quality was really, really good, much better than I expected. It's kind of an all-you-can-eat thing. Normally, the quality is so-so, but uh, not this time. This was really what we needed, and we hadn't eaten for the entire day. This, uh, this is the last day that we were filming. We were in Durham, and we just didn't have time to get lunch. So we had breakfast very early this morning. And then after that, we, we just uh, worked and worked and worked. So the first thing we did here on the ship was to get a good meal. Now I'm going to take you outside. This is on deck number nine. There's also kind of the smoking area. So people are going in and out. Thank you. And here you, you already hear the, the sound of the sea. And uh, the deck is... Uh, a very dark blue and all the railings are painted white and above me I can see these huge orange uh, lifeboats and I think you can put at least 50 to 100 people in there and then down below if I lean over 
the railing, I can hear the sea, the water of the sea. We've left England uh, about two hours ago. Although it's already completely dark, the sun has set. We had a beautiful sunset, by the way. Um, there's still a glimpse of some orange clouds at the horizon. But in these first few hours, you still uh, travel alongside the coastline of England. And they're, they're uh, going towards the passage where it's the shortest distance between the coastline of England and the coast of the Netherlands. So that's why in the distance I can still see a few lights, some you know, towns or maybe small cities on the coast of England. And uh, I'm now walking uh, alongside the, the restaurant. There's some, uh, oh, there's actually a pool table. This must be the casino. <laughs> and above me, again, these uh, huge lifeboats. Actually, in order to go to the back of the ship, I have to climb another flight of stairs and that will also get me out of these uh, smoker the smokers zone so here we are ah much nicer fresh air oh, it's just a cloud of cigarette smoke down there this is a wide open space and uh I'm now on the level of the light lifeboats itself. There's one level up. You can see the chimney of the ship. And there is a small bar there, of course, right now it's closed. And when you stand here, it's uh, much darker. And there is no roof above me, so you're really out in the open. And I love it. I can see a small light flickering in the distance, shining there. And that must be from, um, from one of those towers and uh, I can walk in the direction of the back of the ship and from there you actually uh, have a great view of the horizon and uh, just a while ago when there was still this beautiful orange hue we shot a number of, uh, of concluding shots for the documentary where I look over the sea and ponder on all the things that I've learned from these ancient Celtic monks <laughs> a lot of voiceover material did some stuff on camera as well it's all part of the the necessary material that you need to wrap up a story like this so while I walk in the direction of the end of the boat let me tell you a little bit about this journey in England and Scotland so this idea to do this as Hugo told, oh, by the way, it's going to be a little bit louder here because you've got the engine room on my right here. And uh, there's a lot of warm air also coming from it. Maybe it's also the air conditioning. From here, you've got a great view of the back of the ship. And uh, this always, to me, feels like uh, the Titanic moment. You know, this is where <laughs> our protagonists climb on top of the let's say the back of the ship when it's sinking and it's sinking straight into the sea. I'm going to go one level up. It's a little bit too noisy here to talk. Oh, even more sound here. Yeah, there's all warm air coming from these. So this may be just the vents of the, uh, of the air conditioning. 
and here we are on top of the ship there is no deck above us this is normally during the day it's called the sky bar and in the morning you will have people sitting here and then just enjoying a cup of coffee or tea but right now it's completely empty there's this big yellow spot and I'm standing in this in the center of it that's where they can land helicopters in case of you know emergency evacuation or something like that and let me just go to the back of the ship again and I can overlook the sea there are actually some deck chairs here where, where you could sit but this is called the walk so we're not going to do that oh yeah there I can see the, the sea again and you can hear it also a little bit so the idea to um, to do this documentary was something that we've been discussing and talking about for many years. Hugo um, has been in Scotland uh, for decades and he loves the country, loves the people and the culture and has always been fascinated by the stories of these old monks, these ancient monks, and we're talking early Middle Ages. So, uh, sixth seventh century that is um, uh, really the bedrock of Christianity not only on this island but also uh, in many ways in the, in the northern part of, of Europe and it has to do with the way that Christianity started to spread of course the first apostles came from uh, Israel and traveled to different parts of the world um, some went to over to Europe and of course St. Peter, we know, St. Paul, they ended up in Rome. And, uh, and so in the southern part of Europe, you have this strong concentration of Christians. And they moved up to the north during the subsequent centuries, sometimes very successful in evangelizing and creating Christian communities, and some, sometimes not so successful. It's sort of large parts of Europe that were not reached by them. In the meantime, on, in England... There was also, uh, mostly through trading connections and relationships, uh, there was uh, slowly a small community of Christians that started to spread in the southern part of, of the island. But uh, you may know that uh, England in the, when was it? I think about 150 AD or something like that. The, um, uh, the Romans built Hadrian's Wall. This was during the reign of Emperor Hadrian and that wall was to protect the the the, um, the the part of the country where the Romans were in charge from the Picts and what later would become the Scots uh, in the north they were considered to be bar barbarians very dangerous, very violent and um, untamable. the Romans just couldn't figure out how to uh, get a hold of that part of the country and so they decided to create a, a wall uh, that literally went from one end of the island to the other Hadrian's wall, it was pretty tall probably not really able to withstand an entire army but the Picts at that time were not that organized so it's mostly smaller groups of, uh, of rogue bandits etc and warriors that would sometimes try to invade the south um, and then for those, you know, to prevent them from entering the Roman area, uh, it was quite uh, effective. So that entire northern part was 
considered barbarian, pagan, and the Christians also couldn't really establish themselves there. And that's where the monks come in. The original monks came from Ireland. Um, and we don't know exactly how they emerged there, of course, through travel, etc. Um, but what we do know is that at one point, uh, uh, some of these monks went to Scotland. And they settled on an island, especially St. Aidan, uh, ended up on an island called Iona, uh, which is an island, a small island, not far from a larger island uh, called Mull. And it was quite remote. And according to history, there was a fallout between that monk, uh, St. Aidan, and his teacher. And that was a row actually about copyright, believe it or not. So, of course, in those days, the only way to copy a book was, and to multiply writings, was to, to copy it by hand. And that's what Aidan was very good at. It. But at one point, he copied a book without the permission of his teacher. The teacher discovered that, and that basically a small conflict grew bigger and bigger and ended up in a, in a small war. And many, many of the monks uh, lost their lives in that first copyright battle. Aidan was ashamed, was sad about what happened. Maybe he also felt that he had gone too far and uh, decided to, uh, to, to move elsewhere, to move away from Ireland. And when he arrived on that island of Iona, he, it was, uh, he, couldn't, he couldn't see Ireland anymore. And that's when he decided, okay, Ireland is literally out of my sight. This is where I'm going to establish a new community. And so he lived kind of like the leader of a couple of monks. He had taken some monks with him, um, but also was a solitary guy. And uh, he, uh, so he lived both as a, as a monk, sometimes as a, uh, uh, more of a, uh, an abbot. And in those times, the number of monks started to multiply very quickly and there was a vibrant community there and also lots of uh, other islanders and people from Mole and elsewhere came to the island on pilgrimage. Um, wait a minute, I'm making a mistake. Uh, I'm, I'm confusing two monks. We've had, we were talking, I'm talking, I'm, I'm saying St. Aidan, what, what I meant was actually uh, St. Columba. That's the monk that had the trouble uh, with the copyright, etc. So um, it's because today we've been talking a lot about Aidan and Cuthbert, and I got the uh, the monks confused. So Saint Columba, he was the one on Iona, started that first community. He had a, a tremendous charism back at the back of the ship, by the way, and um, and the community of monks started to grow. And what is for my story so fascinating was that. They started to expand, uh, and 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 they went on missions to evangelize uh, by boat and sometimes with a couple of monks, and they were relatively successful in in uh, let's say evangelizing Scotland, where the Romans, you know, failed. And what is fascinating is that they brought their own very spiritual style of Christianity to uh, to Scotland. 
um, Gaelic Christianity with lots of influences from the existing religions and existing culture. And they, just as it has happened many times in the past, they integrated a lot of the symbolism, a lot of the, uh, the music, uh, the stories, and, and gave them Christian meanings and turned them into Christian symbols. Um, so in that respect, it was very interesting to see that on the same island, in the south, you would have this more, let's say, more Italian, South Europe, Southern European style of Christianity, where monks also dressed differently, had different haircuts, you know, the tonsure was different. Um, and in the north, it was a more, maybe a little bit more um, mystical type of, uh, of Christianity. There, of course, in terms of doctrine, there weren't that many differences. There were still of course reading the same gospels and uh, they were also connected to Rome but there were definitely cultural differences and it's only over time when uh, after St. Columba died uh, St. Aidan who was also a monk went to the east coast to, uh, to evangelize there he was invited by a king who himself had been, had been uh, Converted and had traveled to Iona to ask the monks if they could send him someone to help him evangelize his kingdom. That is where you see after a while that these two forms of Christianity merge. There was a synod uh, in Withby where uh, basically they decided let's let's continue together, and uh, and that's also where a lot of the more let's say Italian uh, influences. Uh, basically became the norm and so the monks also started to uh, cut their hair differently and started to adopt other forms um, of course they're just details but it's interesting to see that at that time there was this will to find each other to listen to each other and to create a common future which I find very inspirational for uh, for for our future as well we need to always uh, try to regroup and find each other inst instead of, of forming barriers and uh, exclude, excluding one another. The monks kind of lead the way in that respect. And so, um, after that, after St. Aidan, you have St. Cuthbert, also a very holy monk, even more uh, successful than Aidan. Aidan himself was a very um, gentle, friendly, pastoral monk. St. Cuthbert was much more dynamic and wanted to really go out and travel the country and evangelize. Um, but he also felt the need every time to return to, uh, uh, to his island because he too lived on an island that was given to him by, uh, by King Oswald. Um, and that island later became known as the Holy Island. And so they formed, they had a community there and every time Cuthbert was too much in the world he felt the, the need or the calling to retreat again and to live a solitary life as a as a hermit which really didn't work out the way he planned because people kept visiting him and kept calling for his help and at one point they even made him a bishop and he was not really looking forward to it but he did it anyway so his success I think is uh, perhaps the most influential it, uh, when it comes to the, the Christianity of, uh, of England and Scotland. And from there on, later on, monks would travel to Europe. Um, monks like 
Saint Willibrord, Saint um, Boniface. Uh, there are many others that came to my neck of the wood and and successfully started Christian communities there. So basically, Christianity in the Netherlands, in Germany, and many of these Nordic Nordic countries. Um, would not have been the same without these monks and that is very inspiring because it's something that you can always go back to one of the driving forces behind this project to do this documentary was to to reconnect with those monastic roots of Christianity and that is where I think this this television project for me was a real journey of discovery Um, the first thing we did when we arrived with this same ferry uh, in England is that we continued our journey by car to Oban which is a small coastal town on the west coast of of Scotland Uh, on the way to Oban we stopped at a nice scenic part of of Hadrian's Wall and we filmed part of that really really beautiful just to kind of uh, tell that story of how initially um, basically Christianity stopped halfway uh, and, 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 and it's kind of setting up that later on the monks kind of completed the uh, evangelization of the island and then once we arrived in Oban we, uh, we stayed for two nights there in a very very simple cheap hotel um, I didn't even have light in the bathroom. I had to use my phone, the, the torch light of my phone, to to be able to see what I was, uh, you know, the, the, to find the the instructions for the for the uh, for the shower. But th- it's not really important. The next day, we uh, we we took the car and we went on another ferry to the island of Mull, and that was for me visually absolutely the most impressive part of the journey because we were traveling through an island and it's almost completely empty there there are no towns it's just a few houses in the beginning and at the end but the rest of the of the island is is empty and well not really empty because it's beautiful it's fall we had fantastic weather the sun was shining you had these beautiful clouds in the sky and if you've been following me on social media, you will have seen the stunning photos that I was able to take with my phone of nature and, and the absolute stunning, gorgeous uh, uh, vistas that that journey gave us. Then we, we um, stepped on the, another smaller boat to the island of Iona, and that's where we visited the old abbey, which is built on the location of the original abbey of Saint Columba and and Saint Aidan and Cuthbert and all, all these other saints. Um, we were welcomed by a Protestant pastor who worked there. Uh, there are many Christian denominations that uh, worship on that island. Um, and on the way to uh, Iona, I even met uh, briefly um, an Orthodox monk who told us that he had just founded a small community um, on Mull and invited us to stop by if we were on the way back. So Iona was was absolutely fantastic. Uh, it's really hard to to convey what 
what that island feels like, you to me it's proof that these generations of, of monks that have been praying there almost sanctify an island like that. You feel that there is something to that place. And it's, it's nothing magical, of course, but it's that legacy of prayer that these monks left there. I'm going down the stairs here to the lower deck just to keep moving. Um, and so uh, we filled there for an entire day. Again, the weather was great. And, uh, uh, and then on the way back, we actually visited the small Orthodox community um, about five people um, and I interviewed Father Seraphim that was his name uh, about his own vocation and why they settled there and, and then after the interview he invited us to join them in evening prayer and that was amazing it, they had converted a small uh, shack behind the, the house where they lived into a, a, a tiny chapel with lots of icons and of course the separation between the part where you pray and then the uh, the holiest uh, of places where the Eucharist is celebrated and they prayed evening prayer and it was a simplified form of evening prayer we there were some 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 chants some prayers some litanies lots of litanies actually and uh, and then he said what we sometimes do instead of praying the Psalms for an hour we pray uh, this very ancient prayer where we just say uh, Lord Jesus Christ Son of God have mercy on me and he said we're, we're, we're going to pray that 20 times and then we'll hand it over hand over that prayer to the next person in the chapel by praying the Virgin Mary so it was uh, most holy mother of God save us and then the next person had to pray that prayer and it took an hour and it, it has been ingrained in my mind because of that and so for the the rest of my time here uh, in Scotland I've been praying that in the morning sometimes at night when I couldn't sleep just Lord Jesus Christ Son of God have mercy on me just on and on and on it's very easy to remember but it, it calms you down it's a beautiful prayer centered on Christ himself and it is centuries and centuries old so I was very uh, moved to be taught that prayer that I think will I will keep with me for the rest of my life um, the uh, the next thing that we did oh and one one other thing uh, during their prayer at the end of the prayer they had this long litany where they named all these all the names of these ancient monks um, and asked them to pray for us to help us to support us and to me that felt like such a powerful moment of communion because of course we have that in common those monks are also uh, extremely important for um, the let's say the undivided church before uh, the church split apart in um, in the Orthodox Church and the rest of the church, and so to find that commonality in in those monks and to feel that in that prayer, something I will never forget. That evening we uh, we traveled back 
uh, by car over the island of Mull and we had to make it in time to the last ferry that would bring us back to Oban. And because we would only stay for about five days in Scotland, there was no margin for error. We needed to get that ferry back. And uh, so we were a little bit, I don't know, worried that we wouldn't make it. After all, we were driving in the dark, pitch dark. There are no lights there. At one point, we even had to brake because of reindeers. Oh, well, not reindeers, not reindeers. Uh, uh, what, you, what you call that in... Uh, in English, the Bambi, <laughs> you know, <laughs> wild animals on the road. Uh, at the beginning, it was just the cows, the, the Highlanders. Later on, these other wild animals. Um, and then we came to the ferry and saw that we had actually made a mistake. And it was an hour later that the boat would, would, uh, would depart. So because we hadn't really uh, eaten that much, we, we, we joined actually the Orthodox community in their... Uh, Friday meal but it was vegetarian it was very sober uh, because of Friday and so we still uh, felt a little you know hole in our stomach and uh, so we, we found this small bar very cozy like a typical Scottish bar I'm gonna go up the stairs again and um, the uh, it was a very lively atmosphere and there was this guy um, what was his name again? Uh, Danny. <laughs> you know, little hat. A small, short man, almost a hobbit. And he had obviously already sam- sampled a wee bit of dram. <laughs> and so he was like, oh, let me buy you a drink. And we were, no, 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 we've we got to still drive. We've got a long journey ahead of us. And he's like, oh, just, you know. Started to talk about the island. He knew a few words of Dutch and... Uh, it was very sympathetic and then we went back to the car and still way too early and then we were sitting in the car and then we hear someone knocking on our window and it was Danny who had followed us and he's like oh you guys come over to my home and I have a I live here across the street and you can from my window you can see the boat when it arrives you know you'll have plenty of time to go there and come join me for a glass of whiskey and uh, and I'll, I'll get you a wee bit of dram. And so that's what we did. And he kept, you know, serving us this great whiskey. Um, and, and and talked. He just enjoyed the company. It turned out his wife, uh, I think, died a couple of years before. He was alone. And there were some pictures of his grandchildren. Um, and so he, you could tell that he loved to, to talk with us and to have, you know, some company. The thing was... We almost missed our boat because of that. Because at one point, Hugo looks out of the window. He's like, I think the boat is leaving or, you know, is there. And he's no, no, you have plenty of time. And uh, by the way, you can also just stay here. And I've got an extra room and you can just sleep there and go back to Oban tomorrow morning. And we're like, no way. We really need to get going because the next day we would travel again. Um, And so at one point, we, we just had to basically... Uh, run to the car and then we saw that the boat was you know it was already closed all the cars were inside and we were there and like we're going to stay here on this island for the rest of the night and tomorrow we're going to be in so much trouble because of our schedule and so 
Hugo start, starts honking, and, and, and fortunately, thankfully, I ran towards the boat, you know, trying to get someone's attention. And ultimately, they let us on the boat, just in the nick of time. And <laughs> oh, that was just unbelievable. And, and, and be, before we started running, he even gave us a, a, a half bottle of whiskey that he still had. A very good one, by the way. Um, and uh, so yeah, I, like, I don't like this one. You just take it home, you know. <laughs> so we arrived really late at night um, in, at our hotel in Oban. And then the next morning, we had to leave early again for our next destination. And that would be... Uh, an attempt to find St. Columba's cave. So I told you before that St. Columba, when he came from Ireland, um, he tried to find a place to settle and couldn't immediately find that island where he ultimately uh, built his community. And so for a while he lived in a cave. And we knew approximately the location of that cave uh, but it still took us uh, about, I don't know, an hour, I think, an hour and a half to, to really find it. It's on the coast. It's really hidden in the, in the woods uh, near the shore. And that was fantastic. I mean, the, the atmosphere, there was a small altar there. Um, you'll probably see it. The, the things that I'm currently talking about are, are every, I've, I made vlogs every day, sometimes even multiple vlogs per day. And you can see those vlogs if you go to my YouTube account. And if you're there, make sure to subscribe. So that's youtube.com slash Father Roderick. Um, so anyway, we, that, that cave just visually was, was so fantastic um, that I started to think, with all the interviews that we've done already, there's so much content. Instead of doing two episodes, what we should do is to flat out make... Um, make try to make a special of, of three episodes we we can make a full-fledged cinematic documentary out of this and so that's what we're we were starting to construct after that we um we decided we're we're gonna see if we can deepen the story even more i'm gonna go back to the upper deck here oh wow from here you can see the lifeboats really really well or five of them and on the other side as well so that yeah if there are a hundred people per lifeboat I think you can evacuate the entire population of this uh, of this ferry as I say I'm getting a little bit tired <laughs> all the walking it's been such a long day so after that we drove to the we drove east again because our next destination was going to be Holy Island where you know, that was the island that was given by King Oswald to St. Aidan, that other monk that I confused with uh, St. Columba at first. So anyway, uh, we, uh, we ended up in Edinburgh. And that was mainly because it was very hard to find hotels in those smaller towns. And, uh, and from Edinburgh, it was actually quite, quite easy to find... Uh, Holy Island. It was just about an hour and a half away, I think. So we stayed there, actually in one of the nicer hotels. Um, I'm always using Expedia or Hotels.com to uh, find, you know, low-budget hotels. And sometimes you're lucky. And this time we were. And so we had a really nice hotel uh, 
where and, and, and you know since I still have to go to Rome after this I was glad to uh, to get a good night's sleep there then the next day we went to Holy Island this was yesterday it's insane I mean it feels like I've been in Scotland for about a month but it's only five days so we uh, we drove to Holy Island and the, th- the thing is Holy Island is an island but it is connected through uh, with the mainland to the mainland um, via a road that is only accessible when the tides are low and in the past pilgrims that went to see these monks and pray with them and especially pray on the uh, close to the relics of St. Cuthbert um, because you know as soon as he was buried miracles started to happen and people came there to uh as pilgrims to, to find help, to get help from, from St. Cuthbert. There was a pilgrim road uh, that was marked by wooden poles. But you really had to be sure that you were able to get there before uh, the, 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 the water would, float, uh, would start, you know, rising. Um, and so... When we went there, we had to consult the timetable because, of course, the tides change every day. And we knew that that day uh, we could enter the island over that road from 10 till 6, which is actually a quite nice time window. And I wanted, of course, not to go there by car, which you can because there's a a newer road, which also still gets submerged. And there were lots of uh, scary warnings that, you know, the... You, you can actually drown there and, and almost every week they have to save people that try to outrun the flooding waters which you can't um, but I wanted to walk part of that pilgrim's route which is what we did I didn't have any walking shoes with me so I just walked with my regular you know nice Sunday shoes <laughs> that I needed for uh, for the m- many visits in Rome to churches etc can't, can't walk into St. Peter's uh, Basilica wearing my my boots (laughs) so um, and it it was the first day that we had very stormy weather very rough weather extremely strong winds so strong that sometimes I could barely hold on to my camera and uh, let alone you know uh, uh, Hugo who is uh, using uh, a rig uh, and a gimbal with a, a Sony camera to have these stabilized shots Um, and every I don't know 500 meters there is a small tower if you are surprised by the floods you can climb into those towers and wait it out which could take six hours before the water waters lower again but at least you wouldn't drown so I actually climbed into one of those and had the most amazing shots really and then on the island itself, uh, we found the local vicar, uh, a woman uh, from the Anglican Church. And she uh, had just arrived on the island in January. And it was one of her greatest dreams to be serving on that island. Because she too, in her, her own ministry, was very much inspired by the patience of these monks and their very deep spirituality. And that was a 
message that we kept hearing over and over again is what made these monks so successful was not their ability to plan, to strategize. They didn't have anything in terms of possessions or even knowledge. But what they had was a very deep prayer life and a, a, a strong connection to Christ. And that was so strong that they couldn't hold it for themselves and they had to spread it. And it's that joy and that uh, uh, energy that stemmed from prayer. That is what made them so successful. And uh, th so this, this vicar uh, told us that she too felt that that was something that we needed to rediscover, especially in, in right now in in, uh, in England, in the UK, you have the Brexit troubles and there is a lot of... Um, and that's not just the only country. I mean, I know in North, North America, same problems. There's so much polarization and so much anger um, and misunderstanding and strive between people. For her, her ministry there was to bring people together again and to let them discover that um, unifying strength of prayer and finding each other again in Christ. And she, in her interview, gave such a beautiful witness that I was, I was moved just hearing her talk and listening to that. I was like, that is so true and such a treasure in our, in our history and something that's just there to be rediscovered. And there is no other way to get together. It, it, you need to find each other in that unity around God's love who actually wants us to be together. And, and so I, I was just so happy with the interview and everything. And then uh, we, uh, we stayed a little bit longer. And I remember that on Iona, I forgot to tell you that, but you may see that in the final footage. Um, right as, I, as I'm about to leave the, the premises of the Abbey of Iona, I see a sister, a religious sister, Dominican sister. At least the habit is Dominican. And then I see there are three more. It's like, wow, that's cool. Maybe we can interview them or just at least film them because we hadn't seen any, you know, uh, religious sisters or, or priests or whatever. Um, and then while I'm walking towards that sister, that sister is like, I know you. I know who you are. And I was like, sure. What? No. Huh? What? What do you mean? How can you know me? Because I didn't recognize her at all. So at first I'm thinking maybe they know me from the podcast or from Facebook. I have a lot of, view, uh, a lot of followers and I don't always know who's following me. Then she says, no, I know you because of Father Theo. And then it hits me. It's like Father Theo, when I was in France, so Father Theo is this Dutch priest who uh, a couple of years ago decided to become a hermit in France and I filmed a documentary in France earlier this year he told me that he had met a, 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 an American sister who uh, was so inspired by the chapel there in France and by the history of that chapel that she uh, um, started to do historical research into the the, the legends uh, and, and the, the, the origins of that chapel and so they've been constantly uh, corresponding um, so 
and, and, and when I was visiting and filming there, he sent her a photo uh, of us together so the, as two priests. And that's where she recognized me from. And I'm like, no, that can't be. And it turns out she is not... I thought she was in the United States. Turns out that she and the other three sisters started a foundation in Scotland. So they came from the United States and they went to Scotland. Um, and they're Dominican, so it's the Dominican charism of, of preaching and evangelizing. And, and the reason that they are in, in Scotland is to evangelize. And I'm like... What are the odds that here in Scotland, on a random day, at a random time of the day itself, I'm about to leave. I've just filmed this abbey and interviewed the people here. I bump into this sister that is there for the same reason as I was. Because I ask them, what do you do? Because they don't even live there in that area. They live in the north of Scotland, so far away. So literally, it's impossible that that was a coincidence. And she told us, we are here on a pilgrimage. And we want to pray these monks, St. Cuthbert, St. Columba, St. Aidan, for their help in our mission to evangelize in Scotland. And I was like, ah. How is this possible? Well, actually, I know that it's only possible because of providence. This is something that God wanted. He wanted me to meet them. And they gave a beautiful testimony while we were filming. And, and, and I've constantly had that feeling during these days in Scotland that we were led by providence, that God wanted to tell this story through us. And there were so many coincidences that it's, it's impossible that it's just coincidence. It is providence. And I, I, whew, I still get the chills thinking about it. it. It's something that you don't often experience, at, at least not so strongly as, as we experienced it this week. So let me take you back to Holy Island, where we, uh, where we were... Uh, filming um, the story of, of St. Aidan and then Cuthbert later on, uh, the vicar there told us, you have to go to, to uh, Durham tomorrow. And before you go, go to Durham. That's where St. Cuthbert has been uh, buried, or at least where the shrine is with his relics. And the reason that he's in Durham and not on Holy Island is that these monks, of course, were peaceful. They deliberately... St. Aidan never carried a weapon. He didn't want to kill. He didn't want to use violence to spread the, the word of God. He wanted to just, you know, share it. And, and that's it. Cuthbert, same thing. And so, at one point, the Vikings uh, started plundering that northern part of of uh, well Scotland and northern part of England and these monastic communities were easy prey and actually there we know from from historic witnesses that historical witnesses that the vikings were just baffled it's like these guys are just completely uh, defenseless and yet they have you know golden chalices and whatnot and they're so easy to plunder <laughs> literally that's what they thought 
And, and, and despite the, the, their successful plundering at the beginning, they didn't really pursue it. They'd never really invaded uh, uh, the, the, the whole of England. But then, uh, I think about a century later, maybe? No, not that, not that long. Anyway, a few decades later, it's the Danes that came to also plunder and attack these Christian communities and these monastic communities. And that, when the Danes started to invade uh, and, and were approaching Holy Island, uh, a, a lot of monks lost their lives while trying to protect the body of St. Cuthbert, his relics, from the pagans. And so they, put the, they took the coffin, the shrine, and carried it to, uh, to the mainland. And then according to what they've told us, they've been, they've been moving the body of St. Cuthbert from, from location to location for 100 years. So after his death, that's fascinating, after his death, St. Cuthbert continued to evangelize thanks to the brothers that carried his body to all these different parts of England. And every time they build a small church, and a lot of these churches are still here today, dedicated to St. Cuthbert. And, th and then ultimately, a century later, they, they finally give uh, uh, St. Cuthbert his final resting place in the town of Durham. They build a small church, and they establish a monastic community around the relics of St. Cuthbert. And very quickly afterwards, the streams of pilgrims start to start to uh, flow into into Durham, which leads ultimately to the building of a huge cathedral where we filmed today, this morning, and uh, and and it's still until today that for many Christians in England, in Scotland, in also mainland Europe, Saint Cuthbert is this focal point of 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 all these pilgrims that come to him to ask for help, maybe ask for a miracle, ask for inspiration. And that's how this morning I was standing there at the foot of this tomb, which is now just a marble stone because the original shrine is, um, has fallen apart. We were even allowed to go film in the treasury. And then you see the remains of the original coffin, which was surprisingly intact and was covered in beautiful drawings of apostles, of the evangelists. Um, and his, his cross uh, was also kept in the treasury. Um, and it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's, uh, it's golden with silver and jewels, a very, very beautiful cross that they found inside the coffin itself, as well as a handwritten gospel that was copied um, and, and also beautifully uh, ornate and all that is well I think the, the gospel is now kept in I think in London or something um, and it's, it's similar to the book of Kells it's, it's, uh, it's stunning they still have a copy on Holy Island um, for the visitors and so just being in Durham and to be able to wrap up the story there in that cathedral at the tomb of St. Cuthbert was just pure grace. And again, the weather this morning was gorgeous. It hasn't... Well, it has been raining, but almost every time it only started raining when we were done filming, so during the nights. For the rest of the, of the week, we've had 
the most amazing weather that you can imagine. Again, providence is no coincidence. I'm convinced of that. And so that's that's it. After after that, we uh, we drove to the the harbor. We had to the the ferry. The departure time of the ferry had been uh, moved uh, to an hour earlier, and so that's why we're currently already on the sea, heading home to uh, Eimuiden, which is a town uh, just north of Amsterdam. And then Hugo will um, will go home and maybe start editing already. Whereas I continue uh, to Rome by plane. And the next couple of days I will be filming three or four episodes of my TV show uh, portraying uh, a number of people that live in Rome. And so maybe the next episode will be uh, from Rome. And the weather there is going to be hopefully nice as well. So that is what I wanted to share with you. Uh, I was glad that you got to meet Hugo on, uh, on, uh, on my way out. Um, so I'm going to join him for a wee bit of drum to kind of toast to this amazing, inspiring, and most of all providential week here in England and Scotland. I realized that just telling you this during this walk on the deck, the upper deck of the, of the ferry, uh, can only convey maybe 1% of what we've been experiencing and feeling uh, during this journey. But in order to get a fuller picture... Um, really check out the vlogs that I filmed there are so many more things that I can you know easy it's easier to show them than to to narrate them and then we also made sure to film uh, to do everything in uh, bilingual so I did a lot of presentations and texts in Dutch and we immediately recorded also an English version because we hope to do a different edit of uh, the material uh, for an international audience. I'm not sure exactly how we're going to distribute that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll get to see it. And hopefully it won't take too long. So I'm going down the stairs again, back to the lower deck, and uh, I'll see if uh, Hugo is still up. It's still early, that's the weird thing. We're currently on boat time, which is not English time. So there's going to be a bit of a well time difference of about an hour that's not gonna really cause any trouble and I hope that I will still have enough energy in Rome because uh, these days were so intense also emotionally very dense uh, yeah <laughs> it's, it's gonna be interesting to see how I will react but I think you know I'd like to be in Rome as well inside here just take the inner staircase down this is the nice luxury floor where you have the suites and everything the Commodore, the Lux it says Okay. Uh, and here's the staircase down to the humble apartments <laughs> so um, I'll be home on Saturday morning so I'll be flying to Rome on Tuesday so tomorrow I'll arrive there around 2 in the afternoon. Then I've got a couple of days of interviews, and then uh, there's still one interview that I need to somehow 
come up with. So I found three people to portray, and I hope to, I hope I can still come up with a fourth idea or fourth episode. That would be really nice. And I would be completely done with Rome, uh, at least with the Roman episodes for the entire, you know, first half of 2020. We'll see. Uh, you know, it is what it is. Let's see, where am I? Oh, oh, wait, this is not this. This brings me to the car deck. That is not good. I made that mistake earlier. Get, ouch. Ow, 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 ow. Hurt my hand here a little bit. All right, let's go up there. I need to take a different flight of stairs. I always forget why that is. This is eight. Uh, oh, no, it's one down. These ships are so big. Definitely get my my workout here. Okay, information. Gotta follow that. This is the seventh deck, seventh floor. Alright, there is the main. Yeah, and then here's my staircase. It's a little tax-free shop over there. Because we're in international waters. And then this one will lead me back to deck six. That's not it. One more deck below. So I'll be back on Saturday and then I'll uh, definitely take some rest. Uh, oh, this is not right. Oh no, I took the wrong flight of stairs. This is, this is the wrong set of, of rooms on deck five. <laughs> okay, well, this is an extended, extended walk. Where is, I think I need to take the opposite side. Um, that's confusing. Let's go up again. Yeah, I think it's on the other side. That's it. I never really got the hang of the overall layout of this ship. All right, this is, this feels more... Uh, This is definitely it. Some stairs. Some more here. So, um, I'm not sure yet how I'm going to get this recording to you. I'll see if I can find someone with a laptop in, uh, in Italy. <clears throat> but uh, I think I'll, I'll manage. And otherwise, maybe listening to this a couple of days late. I don't think that's uh, much of a trouble. Actually, I can't even upload my YouTube vlogs. I recorded about, I think, 15 vlogs or something like that. But uh, it'll have to wait until I'm at least in a Wi-Fi connection. Because these are big files, as you can imagine. All right, 565. Almost there. The uh, tram, the wee little bit of tram is, is uh, right around the corner. I've got room 570. Is it one or two? I think it's two. Let me check. And I think Hugo is in 570. Oh, there you go. The door is open. Hello there. <laughs> well, I'm back. <laughs> you still got the whiskey? Yes, of course. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, let's bring a toast to our listeners and to the good end of, uh, of our journey here in, in Scotland and England. And let's have a wee dram. 
Let's have a wheel dram. Cheers. <laughs> and thanks for listening. Talk to you guys later.